welcome to episode six of Claptrap. Michael Lummox here with Martin Totland. I always feel weird when I say your name because I'm like, oh, because like there's a lot of T's in your name, and then I'm just yeah. aware of how poorly American English pronounces the letter T. You know, we're like Martin. It's like you Martin. don't even like yeah, you leave it out. Sound. Yeah, and then I want to say like Martin, but then I feel like that sounds stupid. So right. it's a stand if you do, damn if you don't. Some people um, pronounce it as a D. Martin. Martin. Yeah. And then, yeah, and if I said Marty, that's basically like M-A-R-D-Y. That's weird. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. I guess we just, maybe we don't speak English that well. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyway, I, I think we have to start off this week by talking about another horrific mass shooting that took place. And, mm. and... I, I don't know what to say. I mean, we talked about this last week. Yeah. A lot of our thoughts are out there already. It's like thought and prayer. Like, I don't fucking care. Like, I don't think anybody wants a thought or a prayer for this. No, it doesn't do shit. That's essentially saying I'm going to do nothing. But yeah, just to give some detail, uh, today is Tuesday, May 24th. And just hours ago, uh, news came out that there was a mass shooting at an elementary K through 12 school in Uvalde, Texas, just a little bit west of San Antonio. And as of right now, the death toll stands at 21 people with uh, 18 children and three adults, some of them teachers. And the gunman is reportedly dead also. And in an interesting parallel to last week, last week's shooting that we talked about, the one in Buffalo, New York, um, here are also 18-year-old gunmen um, who supposedly entered the school with a handgun and also, according to local law enforcement, maybe a rifle. They're not sure about that yet, but he's supposedly dead. In elementary school, I mean, this is obviously... I, I mean, this, you know, we still, and there's so many fucking mass shootings, obviously, like it's like hundreds already this year. Last year, there were almost 700. Yeah. Um, if you define it as, you know, four or more people who were injured or killed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we all remember, you know, the, I don't want to say the worst ones, but we all remember the worst ones. And this kind of reminds me of, you know, the one that took place at Sandy Hook Elementary School. This is the um, second deadliest one at an elementary school uh, after Sandy Hook. So this is number yeah. two at a K through 12 school. I don't know what to say. Like for me, like at this point, first of all, I'm, I got to say that. I don't know. I don't know what I want to say. It, it's like, I, I'm just at a loss for words. Like all I, all I keep right. thinking about is just that since I was reading this on the New York times, I think like since, 2000 the yeah. number of guns produced has tripled it's tripled uh, there since are since 2000 four, okay yeah and there's a correlation which is not always causation what is that wait wait a minute i have to go back the the number of guns produced has tripled what uh, tripled on an annual basis is that what you mean uh that, yeah i'm pretty that's that's pretty or just pretty sure the total number of guns in circulation in the u.s has gone up no. from 100 million to 300 million or something no it's it's referring to the annual production like okay. how much how much demand basically right okay guns. i see yeah um, although the number of guns in circulation they said was around 400 million in this country so it's more uh, guns and, than citizens yeah. yeah and and especially gone especially has increased in the last three years yeah I, I don't look i'm not part of like 
you know, communities that buy or use guns. So I don't mm-hmm. fully understand where that's coming from, but I, I have to imagine it's some type of fear of regulation and fear yeah. of restricting or what types of munitions, so. like what, what types of weapons will be restricted. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't fucking care. All I know is that there's a probably, we well, don't even have to be a genius to know. There's probably a high correlation between the number of guns produced and the number of mass shootings. Now, there's other other factors, of course. There's, you know, the advent of social media, which happened during that time, which has, you know, created a bunch of, you know, raging idiots. There's, which also created depressed teenagers. Um, So there's a lot of other factors too. But whatever those factors are in the middle, there are more ways available to kill people. Oh, yeah, certainly. Yeah, no, America is not unique in any sense in terms of having people with mental illness, people who live lonely, isolated lives, who live just in a constant like churning storm of rage and they end up taking it out on someone. Uh, You know, I think it was early last year in Norway, there was a mass shooting of a sort in Norway where a man went berserk in the center of a small town in eastern Norway uh, with a bow and arrow. And five people died. Um, You know, he clearly had some uh, mental illness, but he didn't have access to the type of weapons that are widely available in America. And so I think it's just, it's the combination of a society where a lot of people fall outside of the social safety net and they don't get maybe the mental health care that they need, but then they also have access to guns very easy access to guns. And so the just that deadly combination makes this so much more common in the US. And this has been said a billion times every time there's a shooting like this, people say the same things. I repeat myself every time there's a shooting in the US. I'm just now I'm sad and upset that I've gotten so cynical that I now expect American politicians to be able to accomplish nothing in the awake of a shooting where 18 innocent school children have been just murdered and i just kind of accept it as a fact of life in america now that american politicians have rendered themselves useless when these things happen all they do is kind of just jab at the other side and then do really nothing yeah i mean i i'm not i guess i i don't want i don't know if i should say i'm sad but i'm sad to say this or admit this but i'm I'm not really that politically active. I am, mm-hmm. I care a lot about matters, but I just never believed. I never had the self-efficacy to think like I could affect any kind of change in anything. I never bothered trying, right? Right. And so I don't even know how to tell people what to do here. Yeah. Like I imagine that, you know, uh, any kind of activism, um, awareness, letters to politicians, I imagine that's probably, you know, mm-hmm. there's probably a bunch of organizations that, you know, could lobby for this, but like, yeah. I almost feel like, like maybe, like it, I, I don't know. Like it, it makes me almost want to to be more active because I'm just so tired of it. And it's not mm-hmm. even just like a, like it's 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 very it's very motivating to want to protect others yeah. when you feel that others need to be protected. But it's even more motivating to want to protect oneself. Yeah. And as I said last week, I believe the more and more this happens, the more and more I feel like I'm not safe. And it's not yeah. about, this isn't about me. I'm not trying to make it about me, but I'm just trying right. to align this to the emotional reactions that I'm having to this, which are, which are broad. Like, yeah. yeah, thoughts and prayers, which I fucking hate saying, but, yeah. you know, and of course, like absolutely can't unfathomable 
the kind of violence and and the loss that it was experienced today but but also like this is really the first time i'm like oh my god i don't i i don't know if i want to go anywhere i mean yeah. like I, i'm not a paranoid person but like i'm almost becoming that way and so it's yeah. like it's just, it's just weird that's all like I, I don't know what else to say like it's just making me feel weird you know what one even, of my first thoughts before. oh sorry to cut you off no, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, you know what uh, one of my first thoughts today was after seeing the news, and this was before the death toll had reached what it is now at 21. But one of my first yeah, thoughts was, me. you know, my wife and I, we're talking about having children's, children soon, you know, maybe a year or two down the line. And I now really have to consider when we have children, will this be something they will have to deal with in school? Should I send my kids to an American school where this thing unfortunately routinely happens, or should I try to figure out some sort of homeschooling situation or should we move somewhere where there are less guns? I really don't know. And I have no practical solution to suggest for solving some sort of, you know, gun problem or not some sort of the gun problem in the United States or the gun violence problem. But I feel like, the people in charge should be able to do more than what they've done, which is nothing every time something like this happens. Yeah. You made a good point earlier that it's likely symptomatic of other things, including, like you said, lack of access to appropriate healthcare. Yeah. Not that like, I don't, I don't, not that I, I don't know. I'm not qualified to say this or whatever, but like, I don't believe that all of these things are really just about mental illness, but obviously right. like, if you choose to do that, you got something going on. And when I say not about mental illness, I mean sort of like in a legal sense, which is like, which is to say that uh, in the legal sense, you would be held accountable for a crime like this if you knew that what you were doing was illegal, whether or not the motivations behind it may have been skewed by, you know, mental illness or something, right? So in that sense, like, it's not like these are like necessarily, it's not like these are necessarily paranoid schizophrenics who literally don't know what the hell's going on and are like hallucinating about things. Like they know what they're doing. The question yeah. is, why are they doing it? Yeah. And when, like you said, combining that with the availability of guns, I, I don't know. I'm not qualified enough to talk about this. This is all just like kind of like emotional, like str streaming of consciousness. But yeah, it's a reaction to the news that just happens now. When children are killed, it's almost impossible to not have an emotional reaction. I think you have to be kind of dead inside to not react. Do you think that this is fixable? Like if there, if there was, if people were motivated enough, if the right people were motivated and committed, do you think it's actually fixable given how many guns are in circulation, given how far gone the underlying problems are? I don't think you can reduce the number of mass shootings to zero on a long enough timeline, but I think you can probably maybe reduce the frequency which with, an, with, with which it happens. So you can make it harder for new purchases of rifles and handguns to be made. You could do it so that you have to recertify to be a gun owner every two years. So you have to register every single weapon you have with the local police department. You can uh, make it so that gun owners have to undergo a certain amount of certified training courses before being allowed to purchase a gun or a rifle. I mean, there are things that you could do to maybe prevent young people who don't own guns yet to get their hands on them. But yeah, no, I don't know what to do. I have no clue how to solve or impact the number of firearms that are in circulation in the United States or exist out there. Yeah, I don't know. There are so many, so I don't know. 
how you would do that, but I think there's something that can be done to reduce the frequency of these yeah, shootings. I, I keep thinking like early intervention of like, um, you know, people with emotional trauma and mm -hmm. struggles and, you know, like those resources should be available yeah. at every school, um, to every, in every community. And they're yeah. just not. And, yeah. and like, honestly, like even, even if you know where to find it, it doesn't mean you can always get it. Right. right. And that I know firsthand, um, from people in my family, mm -hmm. you know, who like my brother struggles with, with emotional issues and, and like, you just can't really realistically get help. Like you're like, if you do find help that's affordable, it's like, you're on a waiting list and yeah. maybe they have um, resources for you or not. You don't know the quality of those resources. You just take whatever's given to you. Yeah. And you know, like that, a lot of people are just gonna be like, okay, well, fuck it. Then. Like, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. you, you almost can't ask people to say, Hey, tell me if you need help. You have right. to almost have to like proactively, be there to provide help to see if everything's okay yeah right i mean and i don't know and i don't know how long that would take you know if that would fix the next generation of would be you know adults and and, sh and shooters or whatever but yeah like i don't i don't, I think that's like that's like the the very least of commitments we can make along with some type of sensible gun control so yeah. well yeah. we'll see how many days or how many episodes until we have to talk about this again Maybe I'll just record, cut out this part, and then I'll just replay it at the beginning of the next episode where we have to talk about a mass shooting and just bleep in the name of whichever town it happened in that time. Yeah, I'm not even, I'm not even going to jokingly say, you know, the next one will be tomorrow. Because I said that last week, and now here we are. So Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Okay, we're moving on. Mike, I have an Apple iMac. I have a MacBook Air. I have an iPhone. I'm probably going to get an iPad. Am I going to be um, obligated to buy the new Apple virtual reality headset when that comes out? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you bought that much Apple, I, I, honestly, I don't know. Like, I feel Apple like I'm locked in already. This is something that, so here's, this is what's interesting. So, so Apple presented this to their board, sort of like in its advanced stages, this, this, this headset and yeah. you know to answer your question it, it remains to be seen i think that apple's taking sort of like a practical approach to this they're going to start taking their app, popular apps that are already available on ios devices and try mm -hmm. to make some type of experience in this headset for them right um, so it's going to be that, like a kind of like a rift oculus rift or something like that thing you plop onto your head where you yeah with a vr on it. i would just a say regular no. vr or is it different somehow i would say initially no i think initially it's going to be something like ar like if you think google glass something like oh, that yeah okay google glass was kind of a flop and i and i have my opinions on it my opinion is that google glass was a flop because it was really expensive it yeah. was only available to um to like to developers or people who wanted to pay like the high price and they didn't have distribution of it. So they weren't selling it through wireless stores or Verizon. You couldn't like get your Google Glass and pay it off in a payment plan. So the only people who had it were like super tech nerds, like yeah. people who worked in like Silicon Valley and really wanted this gadget. Yeah. And so it, if there's like, I mean, this is like ancient news now, but when that came out, there were people who were getting attacked, like physically assaulted for having on Google Glass because they people thought they were like recording them secretly or whatever. Yeah. So that was like a whole PR disaster. 
I think that this is going to start looking something like that, but a little bit more mass um, um, appeal to okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that Apple is really, this is what Apple has that could be make this successful for them. One, they have this whole ecosystem of developers. So like say, telling them, hey, you can make money off your app. Be one of the first ones to make you know, a, a, a headset, AR, VR version of your app on our headset. You mm-hmm. can make money just like you do in your other, um, on your other app for, for uh, mobile devices. That's yeah. an easy thing for them to do. Apple's okay. good at making those ecosystems. Apple's also good at selling physical products. Yeah, but Apple's not hasn't proven themselves to be good at is creating immersive, rich digital like experiences, like like what you'd imagine the metaverse to be. Right doesn't mean they can't do it. They have unlimited resources, basically. Yeah, but but they just haven't proven themselves to be able to do that. So I think that anything Apple does is not like a ten year play necessarily like what it is for facebook i think they're going to be looking to make something a little more practical whatever that means okay interesting are you going to get one and then lose it and then buy a new one and then don't use it i'm definitely going to get one whether or not i use it i I don't know like like, (laughs) we've talked previously about your uh, oculus rift yeah it depends on what like what what the it it can't just be a novelty like i'm thinking one of the things i wish google glass did or something Mm -hmm. like google glass is like Imagine if you're giving a public speech and you're wearing your AR headset and you could see the speech, text of the speech show up. So you're reading off of it, but you're not, you're not holding anything. So you're gesticulating and like acting normally, normally. Yeah. That's really fucking cool. I mean, I don't know if you need like, so something like that would be cool. I I, I just, it's just so much things. Like, are they going to make something that's like, like a full on headset where you're, you're in a virtual world. Apparently that's initially imagined. But then there's talks that they're also going to make like a AR like glasses thing. So augmented I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But all I know is that Apple needs like they constantly need new shit to sell. Right. They have this brand. They have their like distribution outlets. So, yeah, we'll see. Okay. Um, there's other Apple news, though. It's not really news, but I, just something I thought was interesting. So it's an ongoing story with this company. Yeah, so I know there's always Apple news. So um, the, Apple's one of, been one of the most um, vehement opponents of what's called the right to repair, which is kind of like a, a term that's used to basically give people who buy things, whether that thing is a car or any kind of device, like the right to work on it and repair it themselves without the manufacturer you know, voiding their warranty or telling them that they absolutely can't do this, right? And Apple's yeah. been vehemently opposed to this and the reason really is because they're greedy i mean this is purely about money for them but they have oh, lobbied the shit out of this thing basically instead of you instead of apple letting you replace your own phone battery right they want you to go to the apple store where you can like you know see your airpods or whatever or something or like a new like mm. apple watch band and buy or a battery shit. case for yeah. your phone or maybe exactly. even a new phone entirely because the battery is so far gone so anyway, Apple sort of eventually lost all these legal battles and they relented. And so they're doing, they're, 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 you can get an Apple repair kit. And there's a, a blogger slash journalist on The Verge named mm-hmm. Sean Hollister who did this. He got this Apple repair kit and it came in two suitcases, like industrial looking suitcases. Do you have like, to buy it from Apple? You don't buy it, but you have to like put a 1200 
dollar hold on a credit card or something. Oh my god! And yeah, and um, like it's like forty nine dollars shipping, which is crazy because this thing weighs eighty pounds. So I can't they have even free imagine. shipping and everything else. Yeah. So like Apple's covering the shipping, and and like I I can't imagine that's 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 cheap for them for the, for an eighty pound thing. It's got to cost like one hundred fifty bucks at least. Yeah, probably. So anyway, he he gets this thing, and it's like it's like the instructions are terrible. Like it it doesn't. It's not intelligent. They basically it's mm. basically like Apple saying, "Oh yeah, we'll let people repair their own shit," but like they made it so complicated that nobody will ever want to do it. Yeah. So what what Sean Hollister thinks is that eventually, in a few years, Apple will go back to legislators and be like, "Hey, you know, we tried to let people repair their own shit, but they just didn't want to <laughs> without so maybe without you ever acknowledging the laws back in our favor." <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's worth looking this up. I just thought it was funny and, and and hilarious. And like, it's literally the same price as going to the Apple store and fixing it. So you like, obviously everybody's going to do that. <laughs> oh yeah. They're just trying to make it so clunky and inconvenient to get the repair kit to your house and use it that just the overwhelming majority of iPhone uh, owners just are simply not going to do it. They're going to say, fuck it. I'm going down to the Apple store, to the genius desk or genius bar or whatever the fuck they call themselves. And, yeah. and say, just fix this fucking thing. I can't deal with your ridiculous setup. Yeah, and, and exactly. And, and I think the last thing I wanted to say about this is that Apple, you know, okay, so if you, if you, I don't know how many of you, you know, listeners are into cars or whatever, but cars have to be designed so that they're easy to repair. Yeah. Otherwise, maintenance costs will be through the fucking roof, right? The oil pan has to be accessible from the bottom. And, mm-hmm. you know, like the spark plugs have to be accessible and the timing belt has to be. Otherwise, you're going to take the whole fucking engine out to replace any of those things, right? Yeah. So, like, cars are designed to be repairable. And, and how, you know, like, uh, experts can repair them, but so can you. This phone is not designed that way. Like, Apple could have made it pretty easy to replace the battery. But instead, they made it so that you have to take off the screen like yeah. with a hot with like a hot glue thing or like not a hot glue like some kind of heating device that like melts the glue of the screen yeah. right like all this crazy shit when like they didn't have to design it that way they could have designed it intelligently <laughs> you know what i mean they just right. did it so would you ever anyway, do that would you apple. ever get the 80 pound two suitcase repair kit sent to your house just to fix your phone because i know you like Martin. to say you always pay for convenience Martin, last time you were at my house, yeah. what did I ask you to do for me? What did I? <laughs> I asked you to put together my chair that I'm sitting on right now. Oh, that's right. Amazon. I put together your office chair that you're currently using. <laughs> and I, and, so no, right. the answer is no. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine a lot of other people would do this either. It, it just seems too inconvenient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's all about that. So, But I know you have more uh, tech news. From Apple over to Snapchat. What is going on with them, Mike? So Snapchat has said that they are revising their revenue guidance for this upcoming quarter mm-hmm. uh, to be lower than their original guidance. So that so means they're you... expecting to make less money. Is that what it means? Exactly. Every yeah. every earnings call when when you know every quarter when when a, when a public company. Uh, releases their results they usually give like forward facing like guidance on what they expect to make in the next quarter and even the full year just so when they yeah i mean yeah and so when they have to change that they usually have to tell you know it's a public company so i have to disclose that so anyway okay because of that um uh, you know other 
company it had a ripple effect on other companies, especially those that are reliant on advertising, including mm-hmm. Google, including Facebook, Pinterest, even companies you probably never heard of, like the tra- like the trade desk. Um, all just nope, never sunk. heard of them. And, yeah, and and the so Snap stock sunk like forty five percent today, right? Jesus. And um, yeah, Wait, it's, just today. It's crazy. Yeah. And this is like, I remember like it's 45% down from like, and it's already like down, like, you know, whatever, like way too many percentage points from wherever it was two months ago, you know? So it's like, it's just crazy. Like, I I don't know, like, obviously it's not good when a company does this. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think that they have cited the macroeconomic environment and inflation and supply chain issues, everything that, that everybody's worried about and thinking about that's affecting the broader market as a whole. Yeah. But, but the thing is this, like it's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Sometimes I saw somebody on Twitter say this phrase, I forgot who it was. I'm sorry. I would credit you if I knew who you were, mm-hmm. but they said that market irrationality cuts both ways, which is to mean that, you know, back in July of last year, when everything yeah. was really frothy and everyone was happy and everyone was fucking genius for making money hand over fist even me, you know, that was irrational. Like there were certain stocks that were not investable grade stocks that, you know, just because you could tell yourself a great story about it doesn't mean that it was rational. Mm -hmm. But now we're sort of moved all the way to the other end of the spectrum where like the slightest issue, even if it's like you beat your earnings expectations, but you didn't beat it by enough. Yeah. Like that's like, oh, you're down five, 10%. It's crazy. Like I... And look, like so far this year, um, I read, I think it was on shit. I think it was on Bloomberg. I don't mm-hmm. remember. Uh, but I read that like uh, the richest 50 people have lost five, uh, half a trillion dollars in wealth oh, so far shit. this year, which is, which is okay because like they made a shit, they made a shitload during the pandemic too, right? That was oh, yeah. one of the things about the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but I guess what I want to say about this is just that like, Everyone needs to chillax because it's becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy because mm-hmm. when people, when you keep talking about recession and, and inflation, and then, Oh my God, is that going to affect consumer demand? Well, then advertisers start pulling off of places like Snapchat. They're like, well, we're not sure right now. Let's just hold on to our money. You know, access to capital might be difficult. We're a little nervous. So people so then, are behaving as though things are going yeah. badly. So when you stop spending money, when businesses stop spending money, then of course other businesses suffer because they rely on that income, right? So yeah. it's like, but if you look at corporate profits and revenue, they're all at record highs. Like nobody's really making less money than they did a year ago. You yeah. know, even like even like Facebook, for example, they were hit really hard by the Snapchat news. Like they had a slowdown in their growth, but but their actual revenue for last quarter or year over year was still higher. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like. So there's no, when you, when you think about that, like we have the same amount of money, but we're just choosing to spend less. That's, that's an issue of confidence. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like confidence, like um, it's emotional in a sense, right. It's cautious. Right. And I'm not saying that companies should be cautious, but it's like, it's getting a little ridiculous now. So that's all. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. 45%. That is a lot. Oh, and this, this is like pretty normal. Anything now that happens that's not like pristine news causes a massive drop. It's yeah, like I'm wondering it's been how like does that. that ripple effect happen? How does that? Uh, how does Snapchat's uh, you know 
revenue forecast or whatever you call it. How does that mess with Google and Facebook and all the other ones? Because they have similar business models and revenue models. They uh -huh. rely on, on small, medium, and large advertisers to buy up their ad inventories. So actually a few months ago when Snap, I forgot which quarter it was, but when it was when I think it was like last year when Snap was like, hey, we're losing money now because, or I think it was Facebook, sorry. Facebook mm -hmm. said, where revenue growth is slowing down because Apple has new privacy um, settings yeah. where, you know, if you have your iPhone and it's like, you want this app to not track you. Mm -hmm. And then of course, everyone says, no, don't track me, which hurts yeah. Facebook's ability to target their ads, which hurts their revenue. Yeah. And so when Facebook said that, they knew that that would affect all the other social media apps and everyone else, anyone else that has an ad driven model through the, through the Apple app store, um, you know, and so they all had, they all went down, right. It doesn't yeah. mean it's always correct, but it's just like, it's, it's just what they do. And it's just, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So we'll see what happens. I mean, overall, overall we're in like, uh, we're just in a weird time. And I just think everyone needs to hold on and just chill. Like composure is always the way to go, no matter what's happening in the world. That is true. And you know, institutional investors are like not composed right now and uh, it's showing, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad I don't have any stocks. <laughs> there you go. That's one way to not lose money. Mike, what else you got in tech news? Uh, yeah. So I, you know, I like to keep abreast of tech news and I like to keep other, our listeners abreast too. And, um, you know, Amazon is a company that is always making moves. Yeah. So the new new thing they're doing now is they are going to use their um, their Amazon delivery drivers, right? These are like independent contractors mm -hmm. uh, to start delivering items from malls. So I think this is a really interesting approach for a couple of reasons. One, okay, it, Amazon's built out all this logistical infrastructure uh, around delivery and warehousing, et cetera. Yeah, we spoke about that in a previous uh, episode when we talked about Amazon buy with Prime, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. So this is just, this is basically allowing Amazon to further monetize what they already have. You know, buy with Prime was a way for for Amazon to uh, to basically get more out of, out of the um, Amazon e-commerce um, powers that they have. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, this is a way for them to get more out of their sort of last mile delivery, um, network that they have. Yeah. And it's, a, it could be a good thing for, you know, stores and malls because it's an extra revenue stream for them. Right. If you're like, Hey, we can actually, you know, make money, um, from places we didn't expect without having foot traffic, yeah. that could be good. I mean, but, malls are dying. So they're probably maybe happy about this. They're definitely happy about it. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the details? <laughs> They're going to have their drivers, their contracting delivery drivers, take last minute orders for things, go pick it up at a local mall and put it on my doorstep. There you go. Exactly. And uh, I mean, those things could be anything. It could be flowers, it could be shoes. You know, the point is that Amazon will get a cut of it, of whatever yeah. sold. Yeah. Um, and you know, they don't have to store this stuff because it's usually going to be in, in the mall itself, right? That's where the inventory is going to be. Yeah. So that's really just like giving them, you know, they have this, they have downtime for their delivery drivers. Here's the way you can, they can monetize their downtime while also keeping people more engaged with Amazon. So monetize it's, it's good their downtime. That sounds so dystopian to me. 
<laughs> this is this is what people in like you know business jobs and roles talk about, right? <laughs> We're monetizing the unmonetizable. Yeah. Um, the 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 down the potential downside of this is Amazon's already really really powerful in yeah. retail and e-commerce, and mm. you know this is like this is sort of adding to their power, not sort of not from their website. But just as a as a as a platform, mm-hmm. as a sort of a, a portal that people use. So like now imagine if imagine if this is so successful that you know these stores, maybe let's say like 40% of their revenue comes from this Amazon thing, right? Yeah. Let's just say like that would be great for them, but then it just gives more and more leverage to Amazon. Yeah. And Amazon already has a lot of leverage. They're and, already and, and, so and, big. And so you just wonder, like, what, what is, what, how are they going to exploit that? You know, are they going to take higher fees? Yeah, probably. Are they going to, I don't know, there's all the terms will be like in, in Amazon's favor. And we don't know how they're going to do that. But historically, they've always exploited every, everything that they could possibly exploit, you know? Oh, so yeah. that's, that's how they've really gotten the so big. Pretty much. I mean, yeah. I mean, I would argue that they didn't have to do all that to get that big, but like, yeah, right. that's, that's that's their model. So nothing hmm. else to really say about this. Uh, any questions or thoughts? They're probably going to do what they've done with Amazon Prime when they deliver it. They're going to make it so convenient and pain-free to use that people are going to just have no choice but to go there for convenience sake. Yeah. I mean, I look, I think they've realized that there's a limit to how much they could actually keep and like how much, how much, how many items they can keep in stock. People, yeah. let's put it this way: like at a very, very macro level, people buy things that are on Amazon. Why? Because there's something about those things that is just unique that Amazon can't possibly make it or or know that people want it enough or be able to whatever it is like, or it's not local enough or something about it is just like not something Amazon could do at scale. Yeah, but what they can do at scale is make their their services available, their delivery services available, or yeah. their warehousing services available, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. so that they don't have to decide what those items are. They just have to provide, you know, the delivery of it, the actual let's get it into your hands. Yeah, and now they have this that that kind of like almost like doubles or triples their potential access of what they could what they could deliver to you. And how much, and and therefore how much money they could make off every every transaction. So like, imagine oh Amazon being the only way that you could get anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, that seems like what they're trying to do. They're just trying to make themselves the only game in town when it comes to uh, online shopping for anything, really. If I were, you know, DoorDash or Uber, I'd be scared. <laughs> like, yeah. like they're they're gonna like this. This may, it may not end up materializing that way, but this this looks like it could end up featureizing DoorDash. Yeah, like 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 because that's what DoorDash is trying to do. This there, if you if you go on their app, they're like, oh, get flowers for Mother's Day and twenty mm-hmm. percent off of your first grocery delivery. They're trying to expand delivery beyond just food and restaurants. Yeah, well, now they're gonna they're gonna. So now they're in a head-first collision with Amazon, basically based on these moves. So and they but, tend to win. They, they tend to win. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <coughs> good lord, I can't lord. wait until we all just live in the United States of Amazon over here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I have a couple of things I want to talk about too, and we're going to move over from uh, Amazon to Eastern Europe. All right. So what's going on in Eastern Europe? 
Mike, do you remember what you were doing when you were 21 years old? Uh, this is a trick question. Were we in Argentina? Oh, no, I was. No. I was <laughs> okay. Yes, I was. Yes, I do. Actually, I was on another travel tra- travel course, mm-hmm. uh, but to Brussels and Belgium. And then, yeah, why? Why you ask? No, I'm just wondering, what do you think it would have been like to be on trial for war crimes when you were 21 years old? I would would be able to handle that. I would think, oh my God, the world doesn't see me as a kid anymore. They see me as a grown ass man and I'm not ready for that. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. So Ukraine has put the first Russian soldier on trial and convicted him of war crimes. So the first of this, uh, the first case of this kind since the uh, Russian war in Ukraine began at the end of February. Uh, A man named Vadim Shishimarin or I don't know, maybe I'm saying it wrong, but that's his name. He's 21 years old, and he was just convicted in a court in Kiev uh, to life in prison uh, for having shot a 62-year-old civilian man who was just walking down the street. Um, They were trying to flee uh, a town that they had uh, been part of the early invasion force there, and uh, they had stolen a local person's car, just a civilian auto, uh, automobile to try to escape. And they were driving down the street and saw a 62-year-old man just talking on his phone and worrying that he was giving away their position to Ukrainian forces. One of the other men, or one of the other soldiers in the car uh, ordered this 21-year-old kid to shoot him. So he pointed his AK out the car window and just blew him away. And yeah, now he's been convicted. And he is just 21, and he's going to spend the rest of his life in a Ukrainian prison. How do you think he's going to fare? <laughs> yeah, not well. I not mean, well. Man. You don't want to be uh, that guy. I have, I don't know. Um, I, I think I have the slightest of sympathy in a way, and I don't want to sound like I'm like, that's not the first place I should probably go with this, but... It's something that came to mind. Like I have the slightest of sympathy in that this is a war. It sounds like he thought he was doing what he was supposed to do for, you know, to protect his, his, um, I don't know, his safety and in in the course of this war, but he did kill Mm -hmm. a civilian who, you know, it's kind of weird to think, Oh yeah, I'm giving away. He's giving away our position. Like there's probably other ways you could handle that question him, see who he's talking to. Like, so you know, like in, I'm pretty sure by war conventions, like, you know, we don't, you don't kill civilians like, like no. that. So it's exactly. murder and therefore should be tried as murder. I mean, I, and that's what it was, I guess. So yeah. it's, it, this is, it's justice. But then like, if you're a Russian soldier, like, okay, forget about this specific scenario. Like if you're a Russian soldier, if you sort of stop doing you know, what you're supposed to do, which apparently is just killing as many people as you can. According, you know, that's pretty much what they're trying to do. Yeah. You know, you, you have to, you think that you should, you, you be, should be scared for your own um, safety when you return to Russia. Like if somebody, if one of your superiors or somebody sees you or, or sees you kind of like wimping out, so to speak, mm-hmm. like, what is that going to do? So you're kind of, you're kind of copying a rock in a hard place, but I don't, I don't oh, want to sound sure. like I'm too, I'm like, I'm too sympathetic to this guy. Cause this sounds like, this sounds like what it is. This is murder. And also, yeah, you know, like there's no doubt that he's being tried sort of for all the other atrocities that have happened that he had nothing to do with. Oh, of course. I mean, the fact that he's the first one, of course, they're going to make an example out of him. 
there was an interesting moment uh, during the trial. The widow of the man who was killed by this young man, uh, she stood up during the trial and asked the, the man or asked the boy, I should say, asked him directly how it felt when he shot her husband. The, the kid who did it, Shishi Marin, he said that he, he took responsibilities for his actions and he pleaded guilty. Uh, he asked for her forgiveness, but then said that it's unlikely that she will give it to me. And then the, the widow later said, I feel very sorry for him, but for a crime like that, I cannot forgive him. And I think she's right. She can feel sorry for him, but not feel sorry for him, but she doesn't have to forgive him. That was pretty unforgivable. Yeah. What, what had happened there. Do you have any mixed feelings about this? You seem very resolute. And maybe I'm thinking about this like, like a fool, like trying, like being, having like sympathy for this, for this person who. I mean, the kid is caught in an impossible situation. He's a 21 year old, low ranking soldier in the Russian army sent into a foreign country on, you know, trumped up charges. And a lot of them, you know, there was a reporting on early in the war where a lot of them thought that they were just going on a training exercise. A lot of them hadn't been told what their objective was. They didn't know. Yeah. Some of them didn't know that they had crossed a border into the Ukraine. I mean, it was just a lot of confusion around what was happening in the beginning. And, you know, he shot this man at the very beginning of the war. I think it was February 28th, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, February yeah. 28th. So just four days after the war had started. At this point, everything was still chaos and confusion. Um, I feel sorry for him in the way that... It, it's a terrible situation for anyone to be in, but I don't know. Right now, I'm just of the the mind that I have very little sympathy for Russian soldiers. But yeah, I, I do recognize that he's in an impossible situation. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like for some reason, it doesn't feel like this is like a cold blooded murder. And I know there have been in this war, even mm-hmm. you know. But for some reason, when you read it, it feels like. He, he, you could, you almost could understand why he might have thought he was doing the right thing because his apparently his colleagues and, and I don't know what counter, I don't know what you call them, um, but they were officer. telling him, they were, they were telling him to, to shoot this person, right? They were saying, you need to shoot him because of this. And like, what's he going to do? Like, have the wherewithal as a 21 year old who's never been in combat to be like, no, of course I shouldn't do that. So in that sense, it feels almost a little unfair. Like, this it does feel like his whole predicament is unfair yeah yeah of right. course it, it just feels Absolutely. like they're they're trying to punish this man for the crimes of the russian government and the crimes of a lot of russian soldiers as well you know when when and the details of this make me feel like of course he shouldn't have killed the guy yeah but could he could he have been reasonably expected to know that or think else. that given the circumstances and I just, I just don't know. I don't know if there's like a filter you put over, you know, a, a murder when it's like it, during the course of war, yeah. when you're in that situation. I don't know. I don't I know. know. That's an interesting, interesting perspective. I could imagine that you know, the way you're questioning it could upset some people, but I respect your balls for, for doing it because that's something that I hadn't really thought about. I hope I'm not upsetting people because I don't want anyone to feel like like if I am, like I, I'm sorry, because like obviously my no, first no, we're not sim- trying to do that, but yeah, and I think you just have, uh, I think you just, it seems to me like you understand just how impossible of a situation that he was in. Yeah, there's like, what nuance else could to he it. have done? It's nuanced, and yeah, it is. and like of course my first sympathies go out to every single Ukrainian 
who's, who's all of them have been affected by this one way or another. Yeah. Um, I have Ukrainian friends and I know that they're affected by this. So like, of course, that's where my first sympathies go. It's just, I guess when the question is like, you know, did the, did, does this warrant life in prison sentence? I, I don't know. That's, I guess that's where it makes me think, well, mm. it's, it's, it's nuanced. It's complicated, you know? And, and if that does offend anyone, let me know. And I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, if anybody wants to let us know what they think, please contact us. We'd be actually interested to hear from people. Uh, you and, can and, at me. <laughs> yeah. Follow Mike on Instagram where he doesn't post anything. Yeah. Actually, one of my friends from Norway, one of my former friends and former coworkers started following your Instagram account. Oh, oh, wait, we can talk about it later. I don't want you to out someone. <laughs> no, of course. Um, and another sign of things not going well for, you know, the Russian government uh, it recently became known that the Russian counselor to the United Nations in Geneva, Switzerland, he resigned and he wrote a public statement that was circulated. Uh, and it's a pretty uh, incredible document. Uh, it's only one page. Would you mind if I read it out loud to you? Because it's it's pretty remarkable. I like what you read to me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> here, Let me see here. So in, in, in light of this document or this statement coming out, uh, the United Nations Watch are calling on all other Russian diplomats at the United Nations and worldwide to follow this man's uh, moral example and resign because he resigned after he put this statement out. But here's what it says. My name is Boris Bondarev in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Russia since 2002, since 2019 until now, counselor of the Russian mission to the United Nations office at Geneva. For 20 years of my diplomatic career, I have seen different turns of our foreign policy, but never have I been so ashamed of my country as on February 24th of this year. The aggressive war unleashed by Putin against Ukraine, and in fact against the entire Western world, is not only a crime against the Ukrainian people, but also perhaps the most serious crime against the people of Russia, with a bold letter Z crossing out all hopes and prospects for a prosperous free society in our country. Those who conceive this war want only one thing, to remain in power forever, live in pompous, tasteless palaces, sail on yachts comparable in tonnage and cost to the entire Russian Navy, enjoying unlimited power and complete impunity. To achieve that, they are willing to sacrifice as many lives as it takes. Thousands of Russians and Ukrainians have already died just for this. I regret to admit that over all these 20 years, the level of lies and unprofessionalism in the work of the foreign ministry has been increasing all the time. However, in most recent years, this has become simply catastrophic. Instead of unbiased information, impartial analysis, and sober forecasting, there are propaganda cliches in the spirit of Soviet newspapers of the 1930s. A system has been built that deceives itself. Minister Lavrov, he's the foreign minister, uh, is a good illustration of the degradation of this system. In 18 years, he went from a professional and educated intellectual, whom many, my many of my colleagues held in such high esteem, to a person who constantly broadcasts conflicting statements and threatens the world, that is, Russia too, with nuclear weapons. Today, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is not about diplomacy. It is all about warmongering, lies, and hatred. It serves the interests of the few, the very few people thus contributing to the further isolation and degradation of my country. 
Russia no longer has allies, and there's no one to blame but its reckless and ill-conceived policy. I studied to be a diplomat and have been a diplomat for 20 years. The ministry has become my home and family, but I simply cannot any longer share in this bloody, witless, and absolutely needless ignominy. That's yeah. pretty interesting. Have you heard of a book called the, the, the Denial of Death by Ernest Becker? No. Tell me about it. So it's, I've started reading it, and it's, it's very interesting. It was written by a psychologist or a psychiatrist, I don't know, mm -hmm. um, Ernest Becker in, the seven, in 1973. Okay. A year after he was diagnosed with a terminal illness, colon cancer. And yeah. in the book, he talks about, you know, basically why people are terrified of death mm -hmm. and the things that they do to overcome that fear. Yeah. And one of the key concepts in his, in his thesis is something called immortality projects. An immortality project is something meant to outlast the person who is going to die yeah. so that they can be heroic and sort of like forever etched in, you know, the, in history, in the halls. Yeah. in history. Right. Um, and, mm -hmm. and obviously, you know, there's many examples of this, but Russia in particular has a lot of these. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but this, this sort of, this, you know, un, unprompted, unwarranted invasion feels like one of those. Cause why else would you do it? Like you're already, mm. like if you're Putin and we know this is basically not, you know, an autocratic government, yeah. you already have everything you could ever want. So the oh, only yeah. thing you must not have is something that you feel like will really, you know, cement your place in history beyond that of anyone else. Like if I could be the person to reunite the Soviet Union, yeah, uh, and Bring all back of our the Soviet Empire, yeah, that that must be it. And it's and it's when you think about it, like in <laughs> when you think about it the way Ernest Becker puts it, it's kind of ridiculous that we think that way. Mm. Like when we're dead, we're dead. Yeah. It doesn't fucking matter what we did. Like it, you think it matters now, but it actually doesn't matter when you were actually dead. Yeah. And in the face of death, it really doesn't matter. So it's like I don't right. know why I don't know why I said that, but with what you what you read that that you know that um, just made, made me think, think of, of that. that. Yeah, like like how and then like the people who are complicit in it, like he mentioned some of his colleagues who, you know, up to a certain point were respectable, professional. Mm -hmm. um, you know, cared about the welfare of their people and then suddenly abandoned those principles. Well, why would they do it? There's some, they're, they're, they're finding ways to justify it somehow. Maybe they want to be part of that yeah. immortality project. Maybe they're just scared. I don't know. I don't know, but it's amazing that it's how powerful that notion is. Like right. just the fact that we're afraid of death makes us try to do things that make us greater than our death. This is extra interesting in the uh, light of the rumors that um, Vladimir Putin is is gravely ill or sick. I mean, this is pure speculation. But if you if you believe it to be true that he is sick with cancer or Parkinson or something else, that he's now trying to quote, or in so many words, leave his mark before he dies, uh, I mean, this could be seen as the ultimate, what did you call it? A legacy project? No, what'd you call Immort it? Immortality project. Immortality project, yeah. I mean, if he could be the man who, who reestablished the Soviet empire, what a, what better thing would there be for him? Because people who study him and, and know uh, a lot about him and his career, you know, he was a KGB goon uh, before he went into politics. 
Um, and he has said previously that the fall of the Soviet Union was the greatest geopolitical disaster that happened in the 20th century. And it has been his dream for a long time, supposedly, to reestablish the Soviet Union. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's not sick. Maybe that's just uh, a made-up rumor, but it is interesting to speculate about. But I just, um, I wonder what's going to happen to Boris Bondarev now that he has put out this uh, statement condemning the war, because people who tend to go against the uh, Kremlin, they don't always do so well. They tend to, you know, commit suicide by shooting themselves five times in the head and then jumping off their balcony or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, luckily for him, I guess he's not the only one who's spoken out against him. Yeah. Hopefully Maybe he can not. find some sort of uh, asylum in, in Geneva in Switzerland. Yeah. I mean, uh, going back to the death thing, you know, just, just want to say that it does kind of track what you said. And I'm not saying, I don't know what his health status is or whatever, but mm -hmm. it tracks because, you know, we, I mean, from, from the outside perspective, like from where we are, you know, we know that since the, what, since 2000 ish around that time, like maybe 1999, that Russia seen sort of an unprecedented economic um, expansion yeah, because they've become globalized mm -hmm. because they've, they've, they've been open to doing business and bringing in foreign workers and bringing in foreign corporations, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And like, is that not, if, for that, that would have been enough of a legacy for Vladimir Putin to, to successfully lead them out of the fall of the Soviet empire. But something yeah. must have cracked, something, something must have like snapped where he was like, suddenly that's not enough. Yeah. It's got to be more drastic now. You know, let's bring our brothers and sisters, whatever he calls them, you know, from the Ukraine back into our, our arms or whatever, you know, yeah. through. And so I don't know. I don't know. It's fucking crazy yeah, to me. It's like I just crazy wanted to, to take a. I just wanted to recognize that because I just I thought it was a remarkable statement put out by somebody who was you know working for the uh, foreign ministry. Yeah, it is, and it's good to know that there are people who like, like, you know, haven't lost touch with reality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. These are like all the the journalists in in Russia who published a, a bunch of news stories on their websites, critical about the war, and then urging their readers to save copies on their local computers because they knew that it would get taken down by the authorities. Like, it's good to see these instances of protest coming from within Russia because it kind of reaffirms the the humanity of of some at least some of the Russian people that they're not on board with this. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. We're jumping off of Ukraine and we're moving on to hospitals. I have spent some time in American hospitals when I was in college, and uh, it's not an experience that I want to go through again, mainly because how arbitrary and insane the costs are. And I know that you have something to tell me about this. Yeah. So I was reading this really interesting thing in the New York Times. Um, it's actually something that I've kind of known for a while, but I, I thought that this story would sort of bring some color to it that maybe help um, just just illustrate it for people um, mm -hmm. how how ridiculous our healthcare system is and why it's ridiculous. Yeah. So the story is about it starts with a woman named Lisa French got in a car accident, needed to have back surgery. Mm -hmm. Her hospital local hospital system Centura Health told her that with her insurance it would cost about thirteen hundred bucks. Where was she in the U.S.? Colorado. Colorado. Okay. Yeah. Um, thirteen hundred. Okay. You could. I mean, some people, a lot of people, could maybe muster up thirteen hundred dollars for back surgery. It's not going to break you, right? So it's not going to break most people. It's going to break yeah. some people, but yeah. 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 Um, 
And regardless, she chose to do it, right? So, so yeah. whether would or wouldn't have broken her, like she chose, she it was elective. She chose to have it, okay, and that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So what happened was that the, it turns out that her insurance wasn't in network with the hospital, or some, or the hospital wasn't in network rather with her insurance, yeah. and they sent her a bill for two hundred twenty nine thousand dollars. Okay, so we've seen we've heard this kind of shit before. It almost doesn't even shock people anymore. Yeah, but. You know, this woman actually had to file bankruptcy and there was a court case about it and she was fighting this in court and the court uh, ruled in her favor. And the reason they ruled in their favor is because that's pretty rare, they, right? They, um, I'm just thinking because hospitals have sure. a lot of money and lawyers and they could maybe. Well, most people don't go to court, I guess. They just kind of okay. like, I don't know what they do, but, but I, I'm not, I'm not totally sure what the answer to that question is. Okay. Um, fine. But Anyway, yeah. they have a lot of resources to come after you. Yeah. So what came to light in this in this case was that even though just like every healthcare provider you visit, they make you sign your life away, you will pay every charge no matter what, blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. But they don't they don't ever tell you what those charges are going to be. They don't. Yeah. There's no like there's no like menu of services that you can look at. Well, it turns out that hospitals have this. They have something called a charge master, which it's is like sort of like for them an internal. Um, list of services that they provide. Yeah, but they they made no mention of it in any of the papers that she had, that she had signed. Yeah, and so the her lawyers were like, "How can you possibly say that she has to be beholden to this this secret document that she can't even see?" And the yeah. and the hospital wouldn't even submit this for the case for this trial. So, so they wouldn't even holding evidence in a way. That really, I, I don't know if it's withholding evidence, like it's not illegal or something, but basically it's like too, it's so proprietary that even to win this $200,000, they won't even show people what this is because it would ruin their, it would, it would ruin their business because then everybody mm -hmm. would know what they charge and they would be able to scrutinize it and blah, 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 blah. So yeah. every, basically every hospital has this, yeah. right? And it's one of like the, one of the many dirty secrets of our healthcare system. Mm -hmm. It's not rooted in any kind of, practical reality meaning it's not based on costs what meaning what it costs them to to deliver the services mm -hmm. it's not based on accounting principles of like what they need to actually do to be profitable it's not based on anything except it's what they think they can charge and by the way this charge master the services prices change depending on certain factors so if you go to a hospital without insurance you'll pay one price for something yeah usually lower because you're paying out of pocket. Mm -hmm. If you go with insurance, you'll pay more. And depending on the type of plan you have, the hospitals has different rates that they charge, which is absurd. And, yeah. and, and all of this is, is really to say, I mean, it's obvious why it's ridiculous, but it's just like how little transparency there is in healthcare that I can't even like shop reasonably like any normal consumer would yeah. for something that's expensive and find like the best rate for me. You know, which yeah. one has the best confluence of of affordability plus quality of, of service or whatever it is we choose to make purchase decisions mm -hmm. like I would anything else. And maybe yeah. this back surgery was optional. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't matter. But it's something that important. Like, like, could you what if you went into like a restaurant and they didn't tell you the price of a bottle of Coke and they were like, oh, that's yeah. two hundred thirty thousand dollars, sir what the fuck? Like you would, yeah. they would never be able to get away with it. So why could they get away with it here? And it's yeah. just, it's just like, we have no power in our healthcare systems because we don't have transparency of any kind. Yeah. No, it is, it is crazy uh, how arbitrary the pricing can seem. I remember reading a story a couple of years ago, or maybe 
Okay, th- this is going to sound, uh, an- well, it is anecdotal, but in this story that I'm about to tell you might come from a new story I wrote, or it might come from a friend of mine. So a Norwegian friend of mine who works for the Norwegian Navy spent two years in California studying at some Naval Academy there. And during his time, he lived in a house in Monterey in California with his wife. And his wife got pregnant and gave birth in California during this time. And after the delivery at the hospital, they received a bill, an itemized bill with all the different charges for, uh, you know, services rendered by the hospital during the delivery. I I believe this is how it went. And uh, on the itemized bill, there was an $830 charge for something that had like a very vague sounding made up name. I don't remember exactly what the name was, but it was never clear or the, the name was vague enough that you couldn't really guess what it was. And they asked hospital staff, what is this $830 charge? It turns out it was just skin to skin contact with the newborn baby. So they basically tried to charge them $830 for one of the employees just holding their baby because newborn babies need skin to skin contact with a, a human to be able to thrive. And so they were just trying to like stick in another $800 for one of the employees just holding this newborn. And that seems like another crazy. Oh yeah. It just seems like another example of like how much they can fuck you up the ass. Uh, yeah. Make you take it right up the tailpipe because they have these, would you call them charge masters? Charge masters. And there's so much shit they do to like, to like, you know, smoke screen, whatever they really charge. I mean, there's, there's, and, and like, of course, like even if they release these charge masters, most people wouldn't be able to decipher them for the exact reason you said. Yeah. Like they don't make it easy to understand. Yeah. Um, it's so basically like all these different the playbook of Apple. It's trying to make it just, so clunky that people won't even try. <laughs> it's just all these different billing codes that they're justified in charging. Mm-hmm. Basically it's like, like Medicaid or, or what's called CMS. So I'm actually, but if disclaimer, I am qualified to talk about this topic because I, I used to, work a lot in healthcare and I, mm-hmm. and I know the business of healthcare very well. So yeah, yeah. for what that's worth, let's just, let me just say that from the outset. Yeah, no, thank um, you for mentioning so that. And so there's something called, you know, CMS, which is center center for Medicaid, Medicare services. And, you know, they basically sort of like set the, the, the tempo for most of how you know hospitals can bill, like what they can bill for, mm-hmm. because, you know, you have a lot of, a lot of people who have Medicaid or Medicare. And so like hospitals will sort of standardize their, their billing practices, around that and that way if anyone questions them they'll be like well cms allows this so we can do that yeah you know so that's basically in general how they operate okay um but there was another story that was similar to yours that i don't remember all the details and it was and it was a while ago i read it but it was basically like um the one thing that's common to charge for is like like the physician's time right so like yeah. time spent with a physician and so this guy went to a hospital didn't spend any time with the physician. He wasn't available. Just saw a nurse. He still charged him for this. And he had to fight tooth and nail to get that removed, saying, I never spent a second of time with a physician. How can you possibly charge for that? Yeah. And of course, the hospital is saying, well, because there was a physician on staff who was technically like overseeing the nurse. Like, where were they? And so like, like you know, the crazy thing is like it, with healthcare, the problems run across like there's no limit to where the problems start and end right that's why like fixing it is so difficult yeah if you just look at something basic like like forget about this and how hospitals charge people just look at something basic like what's the standard of what you expect 
Yeah. When you walk into a healthcare facility, whether that's urgent care, primary care, a specialist, or a hospital, yeah. do you even expect to be seen on time? No. Do you expect to be seen in a timely manner? Do you expect, you don't expect anything, right? You, do, you, do you expect that you'll be able to call someone up and ask for, for information? Do you expect that you'll be able to, you know, speak to a doctor between visits? Of course not. You don't expect any of this because they don't even operate like they give a shit about customer service. Mm-hmm. All of that has an effect on patient compliance. So imagine, you know, a lot of people in this country have chronic illnesses, yeah. whether that's diabetes or, you know, there's, all, there's, there's a ton of them, right? Those yeah. things need to be managed. And when you make the healthcare system just from like me getting access to it, meaning like being able to talk to someone more difficult, every barrier you put in the way reduces that level of compliance and increases the the risk of health issues for the overall population, which increases insurance rates, which mm. is is all you know just compounds all of the problems here, exacerbates all of them. Yeah. And that's just, and we're just talking about customer service. We're not even talking about all this other shit that's that's ruining the, the healthcare system. So it's like there's no end to it. But like the, yeah. we could we could start with you know transparency and and absolutely. I don't know, like I don't know what that means, but you know, just suffice it to say, hospitals have more power in pricing for healthcare services than insurance companies do. Oh, really? And everyone, everyone, yeah, everyone thinks insurance companies. You know, they're the ones who don't who are cheap and they don't want to pay for things. So then, you know, mm-hmm. that's why you get stuck with the bill. That's not true. I mean, it's partially true. <laughs> like, they're, don't get me wrong. They're not like saints, but right. But the hospital, they the hospitals have more negotiating leverage in those relationships because they have to be the, the insurance companies have to have local hospitals in their network or else nobody will sign up for their plans. Yeah, exactly. And they'll just sign up for another plan. So yeah. the hospitals actually have more leverage. And then you have companies like, you know, um, team health, which is like a hospital management company. Yeah. And they don't provide any clinical services. They just, all they do is like hire the staff, do the administration and decide how much money they need to make, what they're going to charge to get there. And then they take, you know, a cut off the top of it. And the rest goes to the running the hospital operations. Like the, 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 that, that is, that's creating monopolistic power um, over for the hospitals, right? Because the team health manages like 1200 hospitals in this country. Mm-hmm. And there's other companies like them. So, like, I know I said a lot, but in general, right. healthcare is a low standard of doing everything, whether no matter where you're going. But it's all becoming more and more centralized because hospitals are buying up clinics and specialty practices and urgent cares and primary cares because mm-hmm. it drives traffic to the hospitals, which is where they make the most money. Yeah. And then all of those hospitals are being managed by, you know, fewer and fewer companies like Team Health. Yeah, that are you know can have price have pricing power, uh, you know, and can basically charge whatever they want, and then they set physicians' rates. So like physicians aren't even making as much money anymore as they as they used to. So like, there's a lot of fucking problems. Yeah, well, this is <laughs> making it, me just it just reinforces my belief that maybe healthcare shouldn't be run uh, with a, a profit motive. That which is exactly what I was going to get to. And you're so right. Payer healthcare system might be something that most people would <laughs> or everybody would benefit from. But hey, listen, I just I need to take a moment to correct myself because I made an embarrassment embarrassing mistake. But I have to admit this because maybe somebody listening would know the real story. I was uh, not sure if I told a a complete or accurate story just now. And I think what I did was I, I conflated 
two stories that I knew about in my mind. Now that I think about it more clearly, my friend who was in California um, and his wife gave birth at the, the hospital there, I think they just received an outrageous bill that they weren't used to because, you know, they had given birth to their first child in in Norway. Uh, and so I think that story was just a very, very uh, huge bill that they received from the hospital. But the other one that I conflated it with, uh, this is from 2016. Um it says here, this is from CBS News. Uh, last week, the internet was shocked to learn that a Utah couple had to pay 39, not 830, like I said, a lot, lot less, but uh, $39 to hold their newborn baby immediately after the child was born via C-section. New father, Ryan Grassley, created a tongue-in-cheek uh, GoFundMe page so other people could share and laugh he and his wife got when they received the hospital bill, listing an extra charge for skin-to-skin contact a practice that involves placing the newborn's bare skin against its mother to help them bond. But that is insane. I mean, even if $39 is not a lot of money, why should they charge you money to put your baby on your chest? I wouldn't look at it as that particular thing being an issue. The issue is that they do a lot of things like that. Right. They all this is just up. one specific example. And they I all have... Mind. That's what I'm saying. My point is that that's sort of their MO. Yeah. And then there's a lot of other things and they all have varying prices. Some of them are very high and Mm -hmm. some of them are modest, like, you know, $39. Okay. It's an absurd thing that you're charging for, but like, it's just the fact that they operate that way is like the problem. The fact that they can get away with it. Yeah. Um, It's just fucking crazy. Like, but you, you, you kind of like nailed the thread between everything I was saying, which is that it's all profit driven. Yeah. But in, in essence, like, and, and this, is, this is none of this is new, right? I have a lot of thoughts on how we can fix healthcare. But in essence, we, most healthcare providers profit from what's called fee for service, which is like, I provide a service, I charge for that service. Mm-hmm. Maybe that service is skin to skin contact with the baby. But yeah. that's just one of the more of those services they provide, the more money they'll make. Yeah. And so, you know, that model tends to corrupt itself. Because your your patients are in a position where they need something that only a few qualified places can provide. Yeah. And so they have all this leverage. And so by making the whole pricing system opaque, they can do more and more, you know, services, right? Fee for service. Yeah. And and then pass it on to you if your insurance doesn't pay. And and it's just you're right. Like money is the thing yeah. that that sort of like under underpins all of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, they know people. I feel so... They feel like they know people will pay when it comes to their health because you know who's not going to want to take care of themselves even if it costs a lot of money. Yeah, but what a fucked up thing to do. Like, what well, if of course, I to- no, totally. Like, what it's if I told you, like, well, like what if I was like, hey, I, I don't know, like, <laughs> for example, like, what if I owned like eighty percent of the apartment buildings in like New York City, and I was mm-hmm. like. Listen, you have to show me your W-2. Yeah. And I'm going to take 80% of what you make um, after every paycheck. And that's your rent. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. It's 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 something like it's as insidious as that. Like just because just because like we have a, a system, a capitalistic system that can support something like that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that thing is too important to be left to a purely capitalistic system, which brings us back to a topic we discussed before, which is, you know. 
socialism and why like it's not a dirty word and why it actually is important that we socialize some things because they're just too fucking important to be yeah. left to a to left to you know a private enterprises and and yeah. don't get me don't 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 get it twisted like this is not for you but like for everyone like yeah. just because a hospital names themselves after a saint and is a nonprofit that does not mean that they're not breaking in money hand over fist yeah that is false and if you think that I'm here to tell you that you are ignorant I don't mean that in a bad way and I'm going to try to help you not be ignorant yes they are not nonprofits are just companies they're just companies that make money the only difference is that they reinvest all of that money yeah. So then, you know, you have like NYU, which, you know, buys up every building in Greenwich Village because they don't have anything else to fucking do with it. Like, yeah. anyway, my rant is can go on forever. Right. <laughs> well said. I'll cut you off there. We'll end this week's episode there. Uh, hopefully it wasn't too uh, depressing. Well, I said last week we're trying to bring in the depressed crowd. So maybe we're continuing in that vein. But next week we'll try to f- or next episode, um, we'll try to do some more happy news. Maybe we'll see. Depends on how many mass shootings there are. Um <laughs> But uh, there might not be an episode next week, uh, depending. Both Mike and I are going out of town for uh, Memorial Day weekend, so we'll see if we have any time to prepare. But if not, we'll uh, see everybody back here in two weeks. I hope everyone has a great Memorial Day. Yep. Stay safe and uh, don't drink and drive. Hydrate. Don't don't drink and drive. Uh, I was going to say hydrate. Like Don't get sun poisoning or whatever. Yeah. All right. Always good seeing you, Mike. All right, you too, buddy. Take it easy.